0: this episode is brought to you by weatherguard lightning tech at weatherguard we make wind turbine lightning protection easy if you're a wind farm operator stop settling for damaged turbine blades and constant downtime get your uptime back with our strike tape lightning protection system learn more in today's show notes or visit weatherguardwind.com slash strike tape
1: welcome back i'm alan hall
0: I'm Dan Blewett, and this is the Uptime Podcast, where we talk about wind energy, engineering, lightning protection, and ways to keep your wind turbines running. All right, Alan, so interesting news with uh, wind turbine base technology. So 3D printing, it looks like they're uh, testing the capabilities to 3d print these concrete bases which is going to have the implication of allowing wind turbines to get a lot taller so what do you got on this subject
1: well it's it's the evolution of 3d printing right it's gone from making little plastic toys uh to making jet engine parts which ge has done for a number of years now and now we're into concrete why not right concrete's the next step why not make it out of concrete uh so the article I saw was really interesting about how they're just sort of zigzagging these
0: little—it's uh, like a nozzle. So it kind of looked like it's like a squirting out nozzle
1: of concrete.
0: Yeah. So I know you're you're uh, not a millennial, so you're not on Instagram as much. But I've seen some of this on Instagram, and they've actually been doing this, like trying to build houses in in lower socio socioeconomic uh, mm-hmm. places. You know, like some uh, yeah. smaller countries, they can whip out a whole house by 3D printing the walls of, like this. So I've seen out of this concrete before. Concrete or plastic, and uh, out, out wow. of concrete. Okay. Out of concrete. So this isn't this is the first time I've seen this, but it's the first time I've heard about it in in the winter by industry. So yeah, they like the and I don't know if this is their final design by any means, but the photo that you and I are both looking at is, you know, this uh, inner inner wall essentially. With like the zigzag pattern kinda of like the way uh, cardboard is right. right. It's got the top layer, the bottom layer, and the, zag, and the zigzag. Right. That seems to be what they're doing to to save I'm sure just volume so of concrete. Just, Since it's a you know the load is down, you know, it's pushing down on it. it doesn't does, really need to be. Well does solid. it just
1: spiral around then? Is that or is it actually like a printer, like a, a inkjet printer where it's just zipping left and right, zinc zink zink zinc, zinc to make the to make this thing?
0: No, it follows it. Yeah, it follows it exactly. I mean, you can kind of see the way the concrete flows. Like it, 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 it follows it, and it just. Uh, so I guess they kind of set it up like. How would I liken this? Uh, it's it's one of those structures. It looks like you know, like a like a crane. Yeah. And it, you know, it just it follows its pattern like a CNC machine, wow. and it just okay. keeps pumping it, and then it repeats, and just goes around, 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 around. So. Yeah, it's really interesting. I just never thought about the application here because. I didn't realize that the bottleneck for the height of this is, is uh, car transport or truck sure. transport. So obviously these precast concrete parts, they have to be shipped from the sure. factory to the, yeah. the site. So they obviously max out on how wide Great. they can be and still be shipped on the regular <laughs> roads. So that's the bottleneck. And this, I guess, effectively eliminates that because they can just cast it on site using the, th- the 3D printer, which is pretty pretty fascinating. So now they can do w- go way wider. And thus, get up to I guess twice as tall. It right. Sounds so
1: like. the, if you increase the width of the base, that I means you can go taller. Right. And that's kind mm-hmm. of how it would work. Wow, that's pretty cool. That is. I, I'm just trying to envision how this works in my head. So they got what a guy on the concrete truck just sitting back there ladling in this concrete into this machine to just squirting it out. That's
0: kind of how it would go. As a well, I I, I doubt it's a ladle, right. but it's. I think they just they pump concrete into the the hopper and then the the hopper of this 3D printer then pumps it through to the nozzle. Now that's gotta be so, yeah, tricky. That you, know, plain,
1: you ever you ever you ever pour a driveway? Come on, have you have you worked with concrete? What?
0: I have not, I've not. <laughs> you haven't. I haven't. I've worked with my hands you a good have... amount. I can oh, weld. Okay, all right, all right. Uh, I can do lots all of right. stuff, but uh, I've not. Well, poured you haven't concrete.
1: lived until you poured concrete, because there's nothing as what just sucks the water right out of every pore of your body your hands never feel as dry as when you're working with concrete even though it's wet mm. uh but it's like this it's like working with uh uh it's worse than play-doh you know it's working with something that's gooey and it doesn't want to hold its shape. So I'm not sure how do you get the right consistency on this where you can lay it down where it doesn't want to run and ooze everywhere and yet still be tacky enough when you come around with the next layer that it wants to still adhere to it. So that's got to be – can you imagine if you're doing this – okay, I'll give you the the two extremes. We're doing this in Denver, Colorado – and it's cold outside. It's January. Well, there's no way this is going right. And, and I'll go to the other extreme. I'm down in someplace really, really hot, like Australia, in, this, in January. Cause that's when that's summer, right? It's the summer in January in Australia. the The temperature and the humidity has got to play really into that, wouldn't you think? Like you, you got to be able to get it, get it down where it still sticks, and you can still build upon the previous level before it hardens. But it can't be too soft either, or it's going to collapse under its own weight. Right?
0: Yeah, and my understanding of it is that there's there just is a lot of high tech chemistry nowadays uh, with concrete. Just looking, at the just uh, have you seen some of the auto leveling stuff of these for like foundations and for retiling a floor stuff like that? Just really thin, Vincent? essentially. Yeah. And so they call it they call it auto, auto auto leveling where it's it's just thin enough where it'll you know it'll spread out and it'll pool where it's you know yeah. got a pool and huh. it'll. Just just like water will fill the fill the vessel that it's you know poured into, this thinner concrete will do the same thing and sort of well, level itself. Go. So just piecing little things together. That seems like that's uh, so whatever whatever they're they're 3D printing these with, it's definitely like a proprietary sort of mix and sure a, I mean, they're they're really working hard. I'm sure to get the viscosity and like you said the stickiness right. and all that stuff yeah. right to to make it work. But yeah, they've been doing this with houses and you know on hmm. a small scale like kind of like little village kind of like huts, and uh, they can just. 3d print the walls in a day and just throw a roof on it and they're going versus you know having to do the real masonry work which is some really both difficult and skilled labor so is this
1: supposed to be used out in the ocean or just on land does it say
0: i think on land and the the other thing that they talk about this baffle design so you know again we're still looking at the same photo where it has that waviness inside of it and some and that's that provides a natural insulation Mm for homes.
1: So if you made it out of concrete that's and it doesn't have anything just say it let's just for the sake of ignoring engineering for a minute it doesn't have any say it doesn't have any reinforcement bar or reinforcement metal reinforcements then it's pretty much recyclable in a sense you just you would just grind it up and call it a day or slice it up into rings and do something else with it. It probably has a pretty long lifespan too you would think if it if it does do what we think it does. That's kind of that's interesting, right? Because uh, uh, yeah, right, every sure. part we're trying to work on these wind turbines, we're trying to get rid of waste, and we're not just delaying the inevitable like with the existing wind turbine blades, where we're going to bury them twenty years from now. The ones that come out of the factory today, uh, maybe GE's thinking a little more ahead and saying, "Hey, what's us just this is using recyclable material, just like the the company that was making the towers out of wood." Maybe it's the same sort of thought process. Like it's a lot less um, energy to to make it out of concrete, which may be true. Maybe a lot less effort to make it out of concrete than to make it out of steel. That's somebody's thinking, right? Yeah. Hmm. That's pretty cool.
0: Mm-hmm, for sure. So, other uh, big piece of tech on our radar. So, we we talked about this a little, a little bit about, or we talked a little bit about this in our previous podcast, but kind of wanted to go a little bit deeper on floating wind yep. turbines. So, the high the high wind farm is the only floating wind farm in the world. It's outside right. of Scotland, and it's in twenty six hundred feet. Well, I don't think it's in twenty six hundred feet of water, but the technology they use is good for up to twenty six hundred feet of water. And this is the spar technique where they're essentially. Uh, They have this long anchoring floating tube, essentially, filled with uh, heavy ballast. So it's got 5,000 tons of iron ore in the bottom to keep it float, you know, to keep it upright. And then they anchor the the turbine to the top of it. And then once they've done this in the harbor, they tow it out to its final resting position. And then they have three slack mooring lines that connect it to seabed anchors. And that's what kind of keeps it in its same little general, you know, spot. Uh, they're not tensioned and so it's gonna just kind of stay put and keep the the lines are gonna kind of keep it in the same place but um, pretty interesting and they say they say that technology is good for up to 2600 feet deep which is about ten times deeper right. than the current yeah. offshore rigs that yeah. are fixed yeah. to the seabed so what are what are your impressions seeing this there's a couple of really cool cool YouTube videos showing the high wind farm being built it's a really impressive like big big offshore or uh, what is that, uh, that That crane? Just a crazy, some crazy big machinery needed to get this right. done. See, the hoist, the entire fully built, fully assembled wind turbine on yep. top of the uh, of But its isn't base. that, it's, so,
1: as they get bigger and bigger and bigger, that essentially pushes them to make them right on the beach, right? Uh, you can't necessarily assemble those a thousand miles. To, well, in Scotland, you're not really that far from the the water, no matter what you do. But uh, you're kind of limited in where you can build something like that, right? It's got to be pretty close to the shore because you don't want to have to haul that around <laughs> through town to get get it out into the ocean. But the it's sort of like a it's like a buoy, right? It's, it's similar. It's just got a weight on the bottom, and it's quasi-anchored to the seafloor with a cable or cables, and then you got this wind turbine on top of it. Mm -hmm. But is the advantage then, just having watched a little of the videos, it didn't really get to the what's the super advantage besides I can put it in places otherwise couldn't mount it to the seabed floor. Is it just the, I can float it and it's gonna bob around in there like a rubber ducky on the ocean? Oh, in the ocean, is that sort of the philosophy? Because it, it it's still buoyant, right? It's it's not sinking to the bottom. Of the, yeah, it's still, it's still buoyant, buoyant, right? So it's mm-hmm. got it's it, it must be just counterbalanced such that it must not rock a lot, right? Because it, and it must have some sort of control system on it too, because otherwise it'd want to drift when the winds come. It's so it's gonna be going away from the seashore. Uh, it seemed like, but
0: where's well, those are the mooring the mooring cables are going to keep it from drifting off of yeah. where it's supposed okay. to settle, right? But the uh, you know the anchor for it is 80 meters oh, underwater, uh, you know, and that and that's I mean 5,000 tons of iron ore will yeah. do that. But like you said, it's still floating, uh, and obviously, just like the the idea here is that just the wind is much stronger further out, and so they're trying to get out to some of so that. So that but
1: that thing will develop, so, it'd be like a uh, uh, a ship on a most in the sense that it tends to develop its own uh, life system around it where fish and barnacles and whatever is going to come onto that structure. And then you're going to have this marine life living around these things. And you know, obviously, you're going to have birds as soon as you have fish. And then it's just going to be a little ecosystem, isn't it? <laughs> Wouldn't you think so? Uh, yeah, right? You could be attracting, well, there's no. Must be, I don't know. Is there whales over there? There must be some sort of whale running up and down through there. Uh, I wonder if they thought, well, uh, just being in Scotland, it just makes me think like someone's thought about the aquatic life and what that thing's going to look like. And with this thing bebopping around in the ocean, is is it going to be some sort of issue for the marine uh, animals that are in, the, in that neighborhood? I wonder if it is, right? Because they even say like... Uh, is it kind of like the submarines with the uh, making the pinging noises that's annoying the whales, and so they've been st- trying to stop some of those signals from submarines? And then I can't imagine this is not going to make some quasi noise. And what and it's, it's sim- Is it going to be similar to where we have the the bats and the birds running into the top of the turbine? Now we have <laughs> we have we still have birds running into the top of the spinning blades, and we have something running into the bottom. Uh, you got to.
0: Yeah, you I'm not sure. I mean, you'd hope uh you'd hope there isn't. You'd hope some of these creatures just oh, there's a thing in the water like just go around don't and go run about their it. business. I'm not really sure how. Yeah, I don't know how they live their lives down there under the sea, you know. Sebastian and Ariel and friends, but um <laughs> it's it, uh, Yeah, it's right? a good question. I guess I guess they don't really know. I mean, the thing with the big implications here are that most of the water offshore on the U.S. is very deep. It gets very right, deep very fast. So, this is the only viable technology to to, to get wind turbines offshore like in the, the U.S. Bermuda Triangle. I mean, they're just really deep mm-hmm. water. And then if you if you utilize that, then you could potentially power a lot of America you could. with with wind. You power. could well. This this so that's that's but the frontier here. Where yeah.
1: All the in the was it the New York Times article? I think it was New York Times where. where Uh, basically all the states along the eastern seaboard, uh, New Jersey, uh, I'm going to give you a geography lesson, right? So you go from Maine, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, New York, uh, New Jersey, from sort of north to south, are all pitching a bunch of wind turbine sites out in the ocean, out in the Atlantic Ocean. And there seems to be some dispute about where, who's going to get to build all the wind turbines, right? Because you can imagine it's a lot of jobs. And New Jersey is stepping out saying, "Hey, we got all this uh, open land, <laughs> open land along the seashore in New Jersey, and Massachusetts doesn't." So we're gonna we're gonna be the leader in wind turbine technology. And like, oh yeah, sure. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I think Massachusetts will have something to say about that. But if we're gonna continue to build these wind turbines offshore, and the ones I saw at least around Massachusetts, we're talking about being pretty far offshore because they don't want to ruin the sight line out in the ocean uh, that we're going to have to have some sort of mechanism of making these turbines float out there. Right. Wouldn't surprise me.
0: Yeah. So with Texas and and this is kind of, uh, you know, one of our, our talking points here today. I mean, they've got 24,899 megawatts yep. installed. Texas is a big state, yep. mind you, but that's a lot of That's a that's lot, lot capacity. of capacity. And remember, a lot of those- enough, It says enough to power 6, 000, 6 million homes. Oh, yeah.
1: And remember so. that a lot of those wind turbines are not necessarily new. So they're like one megawatt and less. Most of them probably are. So that means there's thousands, 20, 30,000 wind turbines out there, maybe more. That's a lot of wind turbines. And yeah, it's, it's a big open state. But still, they made a commitment a long time ago to, to invest in wind and to- find whatever energy source that they could get uh, to, to power that state. So, you know, I get the whole, uh, let's poke at the oil guy in Houston or whatever, but come on, uh, Texas has done a pretty good job in developing all sorts of, of energy and uh yeah, this New Jersey sh- governor shouldn't be trying to stick it to Texas on no level should they be sticking it to Texas right now.
0: Yeah. Well, and just to show how far ahead they are, I mean, Iowa's yep. second in, in capacity with yep. 8,000 and change megawatts. Yeah. So, it's they're th- not, even, not even remotely no. close. I mean, Texas is three times the second right. place. So, so yeah, and this is, like we said, this is factoring into the fact that a lot of these are older and smaller, smaller turbines, which makes, again, like the offshore even more attractive mm-hmm. because- you can have some of these, I mean, Siemens Gamesa's new one is fourteen megawatts up to fifteen with boost. I mean that that could that could replace well, eight yeah, older well, ones, you know, or ten depending on how has big more,
1: they are. uh water along co- who has more coastline? Texas. It's not even close to next to New Jersey? Are you kidding me? There's a half the state, the the bottom the the whole eastern part of the state or the vast part of the eastern part of Texas is on the water, right in the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, And they, and they've been drilling for oil out there. So they know how to handle uh, equipment on the water. Texas is going to be so far ahead of New Jersey if they even want to try. And with Elon Musk being down there now and, and making his, well, the latest thing for Elon, he's going to put that rocket launch facility on the water. He's not going to put it on land because they really can't. So they're going to put it on the water. You know, there going to be a lot of technology on putting floating stuff out in the water. You don't think Elon Musk is going to be powering that with uh wind turbines. Hell yeah, he is. Come on. Right. Uh, so, it's going on in the right direction I just hate this little state to state stupid squabbles we get in which is pointless and at the the end of the day if you're really concerned about making the earth a little bit better then does it really matter if Rhode Island's making wind turbines too does it really really matter no it doesn't matter at all build your wind turbines be happy you are and stop sticking it to somebody else
0: it's ridiculous So uh, our last segment here, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about business. So uh, business and tech news, I guess. So this company, Fluence, which is a battery company, they kind of have like the sort of the next generation of their uh, of their, of their battery products, and it's uh, they've just sold uh, 800 megawatts mm-hmm. of it. And these new versions come in a 10 foot right. cube, so it's a lot easier to ship. Their previous one uh, with these big. Um, what do you call these batteries they're they're just it's escaping me at this moment but they're just these large high capacity um well they're sodium and uh they're just like electrolyte right. batteries yeah. right and uh so obviously they have to take a little bit of a bigger form right. factor um to have bigger right. storage but so but they're now starting to, to scale down so this company fluence used to have ones that were basically the size of a uh of a truck bed or a, um, a shipping right. container. Funny that we were just yeah. talking about that, and now they're down to about a ten right. foot cube, which is obviously much easier to transport. Mm-hmm. And so, just like anything else, the technology is improving and they're right. getting smaller. So, uh, you know, where do you where do you see these kind of fitting in to all of this? I mean, is battery storage going to be a big thing yes. going forward? Or, well, it's going to be huge what?
1: going forward. It's a matter of how efficient it's going to be. And is it worth uh, the money you're going to pour into it for the energy you can possibly store, right? It all comes down to the money. At the end of the day, it's all about the money. So what are you going to do? Uh, you're going to try to store that energy that you couldn't sell on the open market and then deliver it when the energy prices are high? Yeah, probably. Yeah, it's probably a smart thing to do. Uh, is can you Can you work that delta between those two to pay off for the batteries? Maybe. Obviously, a lot of smart people sitting in front of their computer on Excel going, can I make a little bit of money? Can I make a little bit of money? And it's sort of like that. Now, uh, the problem with batteries is that the battery technology lately has been changing so rapidly that... And the way we control batteries has increased the the way we control the temperature and the charge rates and all those things. We're really able to control the lifetime of the battery and also just some of the newer technology where we can store more and more in a battery. That the the scary part is you make this investment and then six months later, Elon Musk comes out with the super giga battery thingamabob and
0: then (laughs) he just wiped you out. I think that's what he calls it. Yeah, I think it's actually the that's actually the the, the term. He should so use the, that. You know, if we trademark that puppy, he
1: may have to pay us, and that'd be okay. But the. If, if you there get you if you get to the point of making enough storage, there's, there's been all kinds of different storage techniques over the years, right? So they've, th- there's been sort of mechanical storage. At one point, we were talking about making flywheels and having these flywheels in a vacuum. You spin it up this flywheel to store the energy, and then you can unwind this flywheel and discharge it. So mechanical. Then you've had sort of super capacitors. You still hear nonsense about supercapacitors, And then you get to this real, real, real storage batteries where you have some control over it, and it's just going to, have to find his place but again it comes down to uh risk reward how fast can you cash this thing in and make it pay for itself before someone like elon or bezos or somebody just wipes you out (laughs) because that's that's inevitably what's going to happen here is that one of the bigger players is going to come in and squash you like the bug that you are and Okay, right? You got to be prepared for that. Um, so be prepared to get your money out as fast as you humanly can. But there's a place for it. And there and like all all great things, it it takes small steps to get to the bigger picture. And uh, we, we always hope for something better technology every every day you're hoping for that better piece of technology. I'm not sure we're quite there yet, but we're starting to get close. You can you can kind of see it coming. And was it uh, Tesla the other day was talking about um, some improvement more improvements in batteries and what the future beholds so now who do you bet against? Dan, you go to you go to Vegas and say saying I'm going to put my money on Bob Smith's battery pack Emporium or am I going to put my money on Elon Musk? <laughs> the billion dollars in 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 uh S- SpaceX and Tesla, would say people are going to put the money on Elon Musk. That's my bet.
0: Yeah, he's obviously gonna have a lot more resources to throw at battery yeah. technology, but at the same time, I don't know that his the tech they're working on is gonna be the same tech that these companies are working on because obviously there's a lot of different types of batteries yep. and applications. So, you know, I think it just depends on where they're focused and and where yeah. that what the the prize they all have their eye on is. So, I, but you could definitely see when these smaller companies getting acquired by them. Oh yeah, or whatever That's your dream it is. right? You know, that seems like the an Silicon easy Silicon Valley dream. Yeah, because I have this. I mean, especially if you're not struggling to turn a profit, you know, we yeah. we're talking about uh, some of these electric aircraft companies. On, Same deal. Uh, or other podcasts struck. And yeah, if you're just going along and someone wants to put you in their portfolio and give the, uh, Cash the out. equity holders a nice payday. I mean, that's rescued a lot of entrepreneurs. Moved to the Jersey the, Shore. You know, recent. <laughs> yeah. Why not,
1: right? Come on.
0: I mean, there you go. You get fist pump with your quarter billion dollars. Drive around in your. Never even turn to profit. So, (laughs) well, speaking of which, uh, as we wrap up, let's talk a little bit about some of these uh, the bigger wind turbine manufacturers and and just companies and and their stocks. So, uh, we got Suze Loan, GE, Siemens, Gamesa, and Nordex. Obviously, GE's been struggling as a company. You know they're not they're not the the level of prominence they right. once were yeah. back in the day. Uh, where do you where do you see GE and, and some of their struggles? Well,
1: the I ran into somebody this past week who were talking about GE stock and the. <laughs> I said, what do you think about GE now? Oh, it's a wasteland. It's a wasteland. It's never gonna come back. And I, go, oh, I don't know about that. I would, I'm betting on the smart people. And they're, and when they get, when smart people get desperate, they they find out ways to make things work. The GE stock is not doing great, right? It's down in the single digits. And I think I sold it when it was over a hundred yeah. at one point, or close to it. That was many years ago, obviously. But uh, you know, the the stock price is really. It's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy, like when your stock price is down, no one wants to invest in you, so your stock price goes lower, and no one wants to invest in you, it's getting into this like this free fall to the bottom, right? But GE has stuff, right? They have infrastructure, they have equipment, they got people, they have stuff. So they're not worth zero. They'll never be worth zero. It's a question of whether they're uh, the investors think there's an upside potential. And I think GE is going to be okay. They're, they're selling down parts of the company to offload and to provide financial support for what's going to remain. I think they're going to be okay and win. They're also working on some new, obviously, the Haliade series of blades. They've purchased LM glass fiber. Uh, so that's a very positive thing for the renewable energy sector. They're going to be okay. They got. To, I think at least on the renewable energy side, they're going to be just fine. It's some of the other ones like Suzlon that you got to worry about that have struggled financially. Now they had this economic downturn. They were struggling beforehand. Are they going to be able to make it out, or just just be gobbled up? You are seeing a lot of consolidations, and if you watch some of these stock prices, you'll you'll notice uh, how that how that consolidation goes. At some point, you, your stock price is low enough that they can just gobble you up and say, "Hey, look." it's better to sell to us than to go away. And that's sort of what's happening with some of these wind turbine companies. So the the big players are getting bigger. The Siemens, Gamesas of the world, the Vestas of the world are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And the smaller players are going away, at least on the OEM side. You can see that and you can watch that in the stock prices too. People are betting on what they think are the theoretical winners. So Vestas, Siemens, Gamesa are probably tops, tops of that list right now, at least. Don't you don't you see the similar thing on the way that sort of the people gamble in the stock market on wind turbine companies? That's kind of what I see.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, people tend to speculate, and people tend to rise and fall on hot yeah. tips and exciting news. And there's or there's not as much, uh, you know, from and, and this is something that I'm interested in and and learning more about the stock market and the and the ways uh, companies are valued and the ways they fluctuate and. So you just see lots of uh, lots of stocks don't follow their valuation very well. <laughs> like it's not a logical. No. It's uh, just uh, who's pumping it right. up. And so you know you see your local or your favorite TV uh, investment guru says, you know, buy stocks in milk, and milk price shoots up. It doesn't necessarily mean the company's actually worth that valuation. Their per right. share price. And I think that's the the, the scary thing where. Like you said, you, you know, GE might still have something, even though they're kind of at the mm. bottom of the barrel now, and they've been delisted from the uh, from the New York Stock Exchange. They're on the Nasdaq now, but they also have assets like these turbines that right. are producing, and uh, and people that want to to get on the renewable energy train. So it's it's interesting to see how the stock market plays but out. Don't with, you uh, see that with the, some yeah, of these you companies? See, you
1: see they move to offshore. Uh, right now uh, the money is uh, almost entirely on offshore wind turbines where you're starting to see 12 14 15 16 megawatt turbines being offered offshore because you can't really do that onshore and the the benefit of, of offshores is that there's less you're going to annoy a lot less people right Cause you, Really can't see it, and it's offshore. It's not bothering anybody, and the winds are better. It's, it's sort of a good combination, right? You can build it as as big as you can su- buoy it up out there on, on the water, and and there seems to be a lot more emphasis on, just from what our company sees. the The ground based wind turbines will always be there because some people, some places are just landlocked, but from a, a larger industrial scale. Uh, from a country standpoint, if you can power some some parts of your country, and a lot of cities tend to be based near the shore, like in the United States, right? So the biggest cities are near the shorelines. Then it may make a lot of sense to start putting wind turbines out in the ocean and feeding them that way. So, like the the Siemens Gamesa part, like Siemens. Siemens appears to be doing the offshore wind and Gamesa tends to be doing the onshore wind. Uh, Vestas is getting more and more on the offshore side and the, and the turbines are getting bigger and bigger. If you can't play in that market where you can invest, oh golly, I hate to even imagine about how many millions of dollars are going to invest in, a, in one of these new turbines and have no sense of whether it's going to pay off or not. But if you're not able to front up the money to get a 15 megawatt turbine up and running and demo it and show that you can produce it, you're going to be stuck you are really going to be stuck because the infrastructure required to make something that large really restricts the players who can do that. And what you're going to see is more of a consolidation around uh, companies that can build facilities. They have the the cash flow to build a facility near the ocean to build these big wind turbine blades and the towers and the buoys and the whole thing and shove it out in the ocean and power a nation. That's going to get it to be a really small list fast
0: all right well, we're going to wrap up today's episode of uptime if you're new to the show welcome if you're a regular here thank you for your continued support please subscribe to the show and leave a review on itunes spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts don't forget to check out the weatherguard lightning tech youtube channel for video episodes full interviews and short clips from each show for alan and all of us at weatherguard stay safe and we'll see you next week Is downtime causing you financial pain and putting a stop to your power production for months on end? It's no secret. Lightning strike damage is a major cause of wind turbine downtime. This damage is preventable with our easy to install strike tape, lightning protection system for wind turbine blades. Our incredible engineering build quality materials and edge sealants withstand up to five times more abuse in the toughest weather and lightning conditions. And we've got the research to prove it. If you're tired of constant downtime, we can help. Reach out to us at weatherguardwind.com and schedule a free call. We'll get your uptime back in no time.